Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome, 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 everyone. You are dialed in with Tom Brenneman. Great to have you with us this week. We thank our producer, engineer Dave Arbruster, for all his outstanding work. We thank the Believe Network for believing in this show. We thank Mike Reed, legendary music composer and writer who created the music for this show that you're listening to right now. Our guest this week, many of you have never even heard his name. But, uh, you know, maybe uh, you remember uh, Joe Buck at the end of a telecast going back uh, to the very beginning. Or Pat Summerall back to the very beginning. Or Dick Stockton going back to the very beginning. Or maybe even Tom Brenneman going back to the very beginning of Fox Sports. Where we read what's called the credits at the end of a telecast. So our producer of this game is Bob Stenner. Our director is Sandy Grossman. The executive producer of Fox Sports is Ed Gorin. And the president of Fox Sports is David Hill. David Hill is the guy that we are having on this week. This is a guy who invented invented the Fox box. So every game you turn on now on sports television, okay, it, you see the score and the time, right? And I mean, now you see timeouts and you know first downs, blah, blah, blah. But th- this guy that came up with the idea, he's an Australian who knew nothing, nothing about American football. He goes to work for Rupert Murdoch and all of a sudden is right in the middle of the advent of what we know in the United States as Fox Sports. He was a guy, along with Rupert Murdoch, and a guy named Chase Carey that made it happen. We will have David Hill the next two weeks on Dialed In with Tom Brenneman coming up next. Since 1882, Children's Home of Northern Kentucky has been a lifeline for children and families in crisis. Now known as CHNK Behavioral Health, its team of doctors, nurses, and therapists impacts nearly 4,000 kids and families every year. An array of mental health services including counseling, addiction treatment, and psychiatric residential care. CHNK also continues to care for abused and neglected youth who are in the state's custody. Right now, CHNK Behavioral Health is offering a free 10-minute conversation with a clinical therapist to help families dealing with the increased pressures caused by the ongoing pandemic. Visit www.chnk.org for more details or for the free conversation with a therapist, call 1-844-YES-CHNK. Living with Change is a nonprofit organization supporting transgender youth and their families. Transgender youth face higher rates of violence, victimization, substance abuse, suicide risk, and homelessness, but have few resources to help deal with those issues. To combat those numbers and in partnership with Cincinnati's Children's Hospital, LWC created with Living with Change Center for Gender Health serving more transgender patients and families than any other center in the Midwest. For more, please log on to livingwithchange.org. David Hill was born in May 1946 in Newcastle, New South Wales, Australia, just north of Sydney. His career began as a 17-year-old copy boy at the Sydney Daily Telegraph. He became a television reporter by the age of 19 at Nine Network, where he worked on the Australian version of the Today Show. He moved to vice president of sports, and David Hill caught the eye of media mogul Rupert Murdoch. 
He joined 20th Century Fox, relocated to Great Britain in 1998, 88, I beg your pardon, and took over at Sky TV, Britain's first satellite television station. He later took over at B Sky B Sports Channel and created Sky Sports in 1991. Then comes 1993, and something called Fox landed the NFL United States broadcast rights. David Hill was part of those entire negotiations where they had to convince the NFL to take a chance on an upstart network no one had ever heard of and leave CBS. Murdoch would name David Hill president of Fox Sports. Eight months later, he created, among many things, the Fox Box, that first down yellow line you see on television all the time, the glowing hockey puck when they got the rights to the NHL. He hired John Madden. He hired Pat Summerall. He created that theme song you hear all the time now when you hear the Fox pregame show. He simply changed the world of sports television. He later became the head of DirecTV, National Geographic. He has been called the father of modern live sports television coverage. He's even overseen The X Factor, American Idol. He's produced the Oscars and now runs his own production company, Hilly. He's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, the Sports Broadcasting Hall of Fame, among many, many others, a husband and a father, and he joins us all the way from London, the native Australian David Hill. All right, David, what did I just uh, talk about? What did I leave out that perhaps you're most proud of? Well, there was uh, – yeah, I've done a bit. I have done a bit, and, and I'm, proud of, I'm, proud of, uh, I'm proud of all of it, actually, Tom. Um, yeah, no, it's been a, it's it, to quote Jerry Garcia, what a long, strange trip it's been, but a hell of a lot of fun. <laughs> I want to go back to you growing up uh, north of Sydney, and what was life like in in the Hill family when you're growing up there? Well, Dad, it was. I come from uh, my family's uh, a mining, a coal mining background. Dad started life at fourteen. Uh, in a coal mine, Mum was the daughter of a uh, of a coal miner, and uh, my uncles were uh, worked in the mills, steel mills, um, um, electricians. Um, we moved around a bit, and uh, there wasn't much money, uh, and we ended up in Sydney. And uh, I got two brothers who were much smarter than me, and uh, that and they'll tell you that too. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it was, it was, uh, God, it was, it was a lot of fun, a real lot of fun. All right. Well, with that background and you're going to high school, but by the age of 17, uh, you start working at a newspaper. How did that happen? Well, it was, um, school and I didn't get on. I, I, enjoy, I enjoyed the, uh, the sporting part of school. I played rugby union and, uh, cricket and, I surfed a lot, and uh, I boxed a little bit, and um, uh, I was in a band, and I was in the school orchestra, and but but lessons and I didn't go out very well. I loved English, and I discovered uh, I discovered words, and I discovered American literature and Steinbeck, John Dos Passos, uh, Hemingway, the greats, and that took me into Aldous Huxley and to. Uh, uh, the the entire world of uh, literature opened up to me, and and I thought, well, there's uh, we couldn't afford for me to go to university. There was there was no money to pay for college, and uh, and, and 
You only got a scholarship if you're really bright. I should point out both my brothers got Commonwealth scholarships, so they went to university, thanks to the courtesy of the Australian taxpayer. Um, I, I unfortunately didn't didn't qualify, and uh, well, I've, all my kids' uh, friends come. You know, like everyone in the state seems to have gone to college. Mm-hmm. And they said, "Did you go to college?" I said, "No." They said, "Why not?" And I said, "Well." High school, unfortunately, was just too hard. Um, and, and I realized that uh, it, <laughs> that's pretty right, actually. And, and I realized that, that unless I did something, I was going to end up uh, working in the pits or in the mills. And, and not that that worried me because I had a lot of friends that did exactly that. Um, but I decided that I wanted to get a job with words. And the only job that was open to me was a copy boy. So I I would write letters to, there were four Sydney newspapers, there were four newspapers in Sydney at that stage. And so I would write letters every Sunday and post them off. And finally, after six weeks, a gentleman called Leo Basser, who was the personal manager of the Sydney Daily Telegraph, called me up, invited me in and ended up giving me a job as a copy boy. So I finished school at one o'clock at the, what the Australian exams are. And I started work that night at 6.30 as a copy boy in the Telegraph. And then I became a uh, cadet uh, and learned shorthand and was sent out to report. I did uh, police rounds. I did courts. Um, Coroner's court was a special favorite. There was always great stories there. Uh, and then uh, ultimately I was sent on, um, on uh, uh, holiday relief down to a city called Wollongong, which... Uh, I, I worked and got to meet the, all the people in the television channel and uh, the local channel, which is very small. And I was given a, uh, I was was uh, eventually offered a job. And I'd been, I was fascinated with television because uh, in those days you uh, you cut the film, the, the the editor cut the film, and the journalist had to write the script to match the footage. Today it's the other way around, and that was. Tough things to do, and that really got me. And I thought, boy, that that's going to be a challenge. And uh, so they offered me a job, and I started in television and did the normal thing. And I think what was always helped me was the fact that it was such a small channel. I saw all the bits and pieces. Sure. So I got to know the engineers, and my friends were the salesmen, and the people that did continuity and and programming and scheduling and all that stuff. So I was there, and, and because it was a small town and, and we'd drink together and, and hang out together. And, and so I, from the age of 18, 19, 20, I understood what made a television station click. And I, and, I suddenly, and I worked out years later that if I'd gone to a big station and just worked in a newsroom, that you have no idea That's right. about television. That's right. About what really makes it thick. And if you just stay in the newsroom. So I was, uh, even though I didn't go to, to university, um, uh, I didn't get a college degree, the, the four years that I put in, um, where I was being paid, I should point out, not very much, but I still, I, I was still getting paid, was that it was the most incredible educational experience in the world of television. And very fortunately, I fell in love with it uh, at 19, working in television. And here I am, very old, and those of you who can do math, um, I was born in 1946, so it makes me 75, which is seriously old. I didn't think I'd still be around at this <laughs> stage. Um, and still loving it. And 
I've, uh, and, and, and Tom's caught me. I'm in London. I'm, I'm starting work on producing a show uh, that, that uh, is going to wear over here. So I'm sitting down doing formats and rundowns and budgets, um, and so nothing, nothing seems to end. Where and when do you remember the first time that you either heard from or met face-to-face Rupert Murdoch? Oh, very clearly. I was, um, I had, uh, I'd, I'd never done sports. I, I was, um, uh, when I, when I started working television and I eventually moved to larger networks from the small channel that I started at, uh, I, I specialized in politics and economics, which I enjoyed. And, um, they had me reading news bulletins. Um, so I would do the late bulletin and then at some stage, I they got another network hired me for uh, the more money, so I, I left and, and joined. And they had me doing the Today Show, so sitting in front of a camera for two hours and chatting. Um, and it, I went, uh, and, and that was was what I was doing, doing daily reporting. And, and what was great was that uh, the way Australian television journalism worked, that you weren't categorized. So... Uh, for a week, you could be doing news assignment, and then you'd be doing script writing, and then for another week, you'd be doing reporting out in the field. Another week, you'd be uh, supervising the edits. Um, and then, in, in my case, I got rusted on to, to, to read bulletins, and so I'd read late nights, and then I'd read the weekend bulletin and the morning bulletins and, and whatever. Uh, and um, a... a I was starting to get bored doing doing news, and and uh, I kept thinking to myself that I had to make a change because it was all the same thing, and you cover a fire, and you cover a political thing, and whatever. And suddenly, out of the blue, uh, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, the, the ABC, uh, started a show called Sports Night, and this was uh, years ago, and it was to be pretty much uh, 60 minutes of, uh, of sports. 30-minute show, three reporters, and uh, they offered me the job, and it was working with a camera crew, and you go out, shoot, cut, edit, and, and voice the, the piece, do the stand-ups. Um, and I'd won, a, I'd won a, uh, uh, the Australian equivalent of an Emmy, uh, the best reporter in the country, for a story I did. So I had a bit of a name for, uh, for being a... Uh, a uh, fairly aggressive television reporter. And so the, the ABC said they wanted a quote put in the door map. So I said, why not? And I thought I'd, I'd do it for six months. So I, I was, I have never considered myself a sports fan at all. I've loved playing it. And uh, we could never afford um, to, like if, if dad had paid money to buy tickets for us to watch a sports event, Mum would have killed him. So that that my communications with my father were sitting in front of a TV set, and we would watch the sport and and whatever. But I never considered myself a fan. Um, it was something that that was a, a very much an, an entertainment to me. And what I was fascinated about when I started doing this program and started to meet athletes and famous famous sports stars and whatever was that it was a different world. And the world that I found, apart from the world of politics and economics, which was where uh, where my, my conversations were, 
that there was an honesty in the sports world that I didn't find in the world of politics or economics. Um, and I suddenly realized that there's this crucible of reality about sports that, that on a Saturday or any given day, you have to, you have to commit yourself and you have to commit yourself utterly. And if you're a manager or if you're a coach or if you're an athlete, that you sacrifice, you sacrifice friends, you sacrifice family, because you want to be the very best at what you can be. And you're on show. And, and then in that moment of purity, you win or you lose. Uh, they say that every political career uh, ends in failure, which is pretty correct if you look at what happens. But you look at what happens to an athlete, what, what they have to go through to become one of the greats. And I became fascinated with, with the, the, the mental approach athletes took and how they can commit themselves. And then I started wondering about what makes the ultra greats? What is it? Do they, do they somehow move time and space and have an extra point zero one second to make that decision to catch a ball or to pitch a ball or to hit a ball or whatever. And I became, the more I talked to the greats, the more, the more I became deeper and deeper into sports. Not as a fan, not counting ins and outs, but to me it was the mental dedication that had to go into this, this kind of athlete. Um, then something happened in Australia which was unique and bizarre and, and scary and frightening at the same time. A guy called Kerry Packer, who owned a network, um, bought uh, all the top cricketers in the world, and he started his own cricket league. It would have been like, uh, let's say, Tish, who owned CBS, deciding he was going to uh, start a league to, mm-hmm. to, to go against the NFL. And he bought the Giants and the uh, and the Green Bay Packers and the and the Cowboys uh, teams of that ilk, and it created havoc in the cricket world. There were high court cases, um, and it was something that I agreed with because the cricketers had been treated uh, with with contempt and paid with contempt. And I got a phone call from Mr. Packer who asked me to uh, produce the series. Um, I'd never produced live television, but no one actually asked me the question. No one said, have you ever done this before? They said, would you like to do it? So naturally, I said, sure. I was so nervous the first day I vomited (laughs) going up the stairwell to the commentary booth. (laughs) Um, Anyway, it worked out quite well, and I worked for Mr. Packer for 11 years, and we developed a lot of sporting programs, and I developed techniques and, and, and I became, I found that, that I, I love television, but I really loved live television and, and sports is probably the last bastion of live television. And there's something about doing live, as you know, as you know, better than, 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 than most Tom, um, that there is, it's, it's like a drug rush. Yeah. No doubt. When you're working live, because you're working without the aid of a net and it, you're utilizing all your talents and abilities and mental strength to, to, to make sure that everything works. 
and I, I, and I, and and I would walk out of the truck and think, Boy, I really want to do this again. And um, so after uh, Mr. Packer sold the network to a guy who who I didn't want to work for, and I told him that when my contract ended, that was it. And I made a bit of a song and dance about it, to be honest. And I got a call from. Um, from a guy who worked for uh, Mr. Murdoch, and he said, Mr. Murdoch would like to see you. And I said, well, that's good. Just give me an airline ticket and I'll do it. So I met Mr. Murdoch, and his first words were, would you like to start a television channel? And I said, sure, where? And he said, London. And I said, okay, all right. Uh, And so off I went and met up with a, a great bunch of people, and we started a television channel. So the channel that you start, Sky Sports, uh, at, at the time, is that, David, to put it in context for, for people here in America, did that become ultimately what we now know as, say, ESPN? Correct. Okay. It was what, what, what actually happened. I started a thing called Eurosport, which was, um, and I don't want to get too complex, but it was a partnership between News Corporation that owns Sky and the European Broadcasting Union. It went over 22 countries. Um, I started it off. It's now still exists today, and it is now owned by Discovery and run very well by David Zaslav. Um, and he's got a very crew, a very good crew in there. And the humble days that I started, they they carried the uh, the Olympic Games uh, last time around, so they're doing pretty well. So what happened was that that and I, this is going to be terribly boring. We got we got out of the Eurosport business, sold it to TFN, the uh, French national broadcaster, which was the most enjoyable negotiation I've ever been through, because we'd go to lunch every day in this fantastic French restaurant, the centre of Paris. Um, and then we started uh, Sky Sports, and then we got the uh, the EPL rights, and then it became uh, and that this is going to get very boring. So we got the EPL, and it. Uh, we rocked and rolled, and, and it did very, very well. Um, and that was when I came up with the idea of the score and time in the corner. Um, so, and and for those of you that don't understand what, what he just said, this is where, and we, we were going to get to this a little bit later, but when you're talking about this, this is where you come up with the idea that we know now in the United States, when you got the rights and started with Fox, and we'll cover that later, but you're the guy, among so many other things, that created what is known as the Fox Box. But you actually started this in your own mind, in your own production, long before Fox came along. Well, what happened, actually, it was um, it was a typical Sunday in, in winter in London. Dreadful. And uh, my wife and I had walked our dogs in, uh, in, in, um, uh, on, on the Sunday morning in a very muddy area, and I brought them home uh, near Wandsworth Prison, actually, at... at uh, uh, and brought them home, hosed them off, and then it was freezing cold. So went inside, put the fire on, and switched on the TV to watch the soccer match. Uh, Chelsea was playing, which was kind of our local team. It's just down the road. The ground is down the road from where we live. And so I'm sitting watching, and I didn't know the score. And I'm thinking to myself, did, did the game start at 3 o'clock? But they, the announcers just didn't mention it. And I'm thinking... Well, if I was at the ground, I'd just look at the scoreboard and find out what the score was and how much was left. And, well, this is ridiculous. So I'll just put this little box in the corner um, with the score on the time, which I did. 
And my boss called and said, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I, I think this is a pretty good thing. He said, no, it's rubbish. Take it off. I said, uh, yeah, right. Okay. And then I forgot about that. <laughs> then I did it the next week, the next time we had a uh, football game on. Um, and uh, after three weeks, everyone started saying that it was a good idea. And uh, it, and it was. Um, interestingly enough, when I, I started it in, uh, in the States, when I came to the States, uh, and, I, and we did that first game with, with John and Pat up in San Francisco, and we, we had we had the box done. I ended up getting five death threats, and we got uh, at, at the Fox Studios, we got uh, five letters from people saying, you're a foreigner, you're screwing with our football, we know where you live, we're going to shoot you. So I ended up having a meeting with um, uh, two guys from uh, the LAPD threat squad and two guys from the FBI, and they said, uh, would take that, uh, well, uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Hill, but we have to really take this seriously. These uh, these these death threats. Uh, and I said, "Why is that?" Said, well, there's, there's no spelling mistakes in the letters. So from that moment on, Tom, I've been watching uh, spelling bees, thinking, "I wonder if that's a potential assassin." <laughs> anyway, um, they're they either bad shots or they didn't have a go. So it was obviously, and and then. God almighty. I don't know if you remember, but but uh, everyone had a go at me, especially, uh, what was his name, that guy who was the television writer on the USA Today. Rudy Marsky. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the pile on I got from every sports writer in the country and all the other networks said this was useless and why are they doing that? And he's an Australian and... I was expecting to be deported for for putting it on, and then after three or four weeks, everyone said, "Well, hang on, yeah, this actually isn't a bad idea." Yes, so, yes. So it all started with me uh, having a cup of tea on a Sunday afternoon, watching a football match, and if the BBC hadn't been so lazy in their production, uh, I would never would have thought of it. That's amazing. Uh, all right, I want to fast forward now. Um... You're working for Mr. Murdoch. Uh, you, you, you're running a sports operation in London. Very successful. And now all of a sudden, the idea comes up of forming something called Fox in the United States. And, and obviously, uh, you know, priority number, well, I'm not going to say it's number one because you got to have somewhere to put them on television. But all of a sudden now, you're put in a position to walk into a bunch of guys, multi-millionaires, in some cases billionaires, and try to convince them that something many of them have never heard of should be the home of the National Football League. When, when, when you start this thing, I mean, are, are, are you, you know, kind of even looking in the mirror or saying to yourself, what in the hell am I doing here, and, and does this have any chance of working? Or did you think right from the get-go with whomever you met or whomever you met with that this had an actual chance to happen? Well, I... I, I... When when Mr. Murdoch called up and said I'd like you to come out to uh, Los Angeles um, uh, because I want to bid on the uh, on the NFL and specifically the NFC package, I laughed. I said, "Come on, it's been with CBS since the start of time," um, and Fox was this tiny little network. It it only went to air for like fifteen hours. That 
they'd only started broadcasting seven days a week. And uh, and and he said, no, 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 we, we're, we're really going for it this time, so you come out and give them a hand. So I arrived in London, and you can imagine how I was greeted an Australian out of London telling him about football. <laughs> um, so I sat and chatted to a few people, and I, I said, well, listen, you know, that what I'd do would be what I did in England and what I did in Australia, and our pre-game show and post-game show, and this is how we're going to do it. And 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 the the advantage that we had going for us was that at the time, uh, the front page of Sports Illustrated back then said NFL stood for no fun league. And I felt that looking at the network coverage, with all due respect to my uh, colleagues, that they were presenting it like it was a, a requiem mass and it was very serious and there was no fun and it was, it was uh, God forbid, slightly boring. So um, I, I kind of said, all right, well, look, this is, this is how I'd do it. I'd put cameras here and we'll do it this way and, and would, what have you. And this is specifically, this is uh, our support programming, what a pregame show would look like what a post game would look like. And um, so I, I cut, a, 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 I don't know, five, six-minute tape. And I ended up going down with a bunch of the Fox guys, including Chase Gary and John Nesbig. And uh, I, I can't remember if Mr. Murdoch was there. Anyway, we went down to uh, Dallas, and we met at the Cowboys Complex, and, and I met um, uh, Jerry Jones for the first time, which was a trip and always, <laughs> always great. And... Uh, uh, Commissioner Tagliabue and uh, Roger was there. Uh, Roger Goodell was was Paul's assistant at that stage, um, and and it was we did our pitch and we said this is Fox and this is what we do with it and um, blah blah blah. And I I came I I was going to fly straight back to London because I'd taken three or four days off to come across to do it. And I thought, no, I'd better go back to L.A. So I went back to L.A. And, and I said to the engineers, listen, you guys ought to start thinking about this. I said, the chances are 100 to 1 against a Fox scanning the NFL. But the, the engineering is incredibly complex. And you guys better start thinking about it. You should have a plan in case the unlikely happens. And then I went back to London and went back to work. Um, I wasn't involved with the financial negotiations. That was really Mr. Murdoch and, and Chase Carey. And uh, I was at a, uh, a Christmas party for Sky, with, um, and I was drinking scotch with uh, the boys from Glasgow. Uh, we had a unit that covered the, the Scottish Football Association. And I got a phone call from Mr. Murdoch saying that the... Um, the <laughs> that the, uh, uh, the NFL rights had, had come to fire. I couldn't believe it. And so on Monday, I'm, I'm, getting, uh, I'm getting ready to go down to produce a game, uh, funnily enough, between Chelsea and Crystal Palace uh, for Monday Night Football. And I got a call from a friend of mine from New York who faxed me the front page of the Wall Street Journal that said that Fox had the NFL, Mr. Murdoch did so and so. And Australian-born David Hill was to be president of Fox Sports. So I called Mr. Murdoch and said, is, is there anything you want to tell me? <laughs> he said, where are you? I said, I'm about to hop in my car and drive down to Selhurst Park to do a game, Monday Night Football game. He said, for heaven's sake, get across to Los Angeles. We've got a lot of work. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, now all of a sudden, David, you're the head of a sports division that has one sport that nobody in America, by and large, had ever heard of. I mean, I, I remember when I got the call from my agent at the time, and they said, hey, th- these guys at Fox would like you to audition. And I'm thinking, are you serious, Fox? And, and I know Fox had just gotten the rights and all this stuff. Here you are, this guy that, that, that didn't go to college. Um, you had worked, though, your entire life learning every aspect of television. You knew very little, I'm assuming, about American football. And now all of a sudden you're in charge of this entire thing to get the National Football League on the air roughly, what, eight, nine months later? Well, if, if you reckon that, that you were surprised, I got a call from my father-in-law from Omaha, Nebraska, my, my wife. Joan is uh, is from Nebraska, and uh, we were married in Colorado, and um, and and through her and her devotion to Big Red and to uh, the the Broncos, that I had more than a working knowledge of the ins and outs of American football. But it was a phone call from Wilbur, Joan's dad, who said, "What the expletive deleted is going on." And I said, what's wrong? He said, uh, we don't have Fox on our cable channel. How the hell am I going to watch football now? <laughs> to Wilbur, calm down. <laughs> this, this, this is January. Um, it, it, by next football season, I can guarantee that Omaha, Nebraska, will have Fox on its cable channel. And that's exactly what happened. And so that, that um, the NFL made the Fox network because all of a sudden that uh, it was carried all around the country. Yeah, so, so Tom, you weren't the only one described. My father-in-law sure. was, by, uh, was not thrilled. When you all of a sudden now have to start about the hiring process, and, and I mean, look, you know, you have a lot of people around you that know a lot about American football and, and who are the people you might want to go out and hire. Is John Madden the first guy you say to yourself, we got to go get him and Pat Summerall? Is that where it started? Well, I, I, was, I was very fortunate. I was helped by a guy called George Krieger, who'd, yep. who was working at Fox at the time, and I... I had the good fortune and the good sense to hire Ed Gorin from uh, CBS, and Ed had uh, knew everyone involved. and And what I wanted to do was that I needed to hire. I felt because we we're doing eight games and we were stepping up the production right along the line, and I wanted to get a a new voice and. Um, uh, I wanted, wanted, definitely wanted John and Pat because it was uh, John and Pat was 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 football, and I, I really wanted to get Sandy Grossman and Bob Stanner because I felt that they were that 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 was a unit, and and I, I'd seen their productions and knew who they were, and I felt that if that was there, and and I wanted someone steady and and experience like Dick Stockton. Um, But then I wanted the rest to be young guns. I wanted to bring a new voice to, uh, uh, to, to football. And 
guys that probably wouldn't have got the chance to be doing regular gigs uh, calling football. And so that was one of the reasons that you got the call. Yeah, I mean, it, it was amazing. And we'll talk more about this in, uh, in part two of our series with uh, David Hill next week. I, I, I just, you know, I, the last thing I want to ask you about the whole hiring process is, is I have read where you have said you felt like your most important hire was Terry Bradshaw. Is that accurate? Correct. Um, I was uh, the one thing I was told uh, by by the executives at Fox, who are no longer there, was that the one person I shouldn't hire was Terry Bradshaw. And I was, I and and I well, I didn't know. Um, so, do you have any idea? I, I don't mean to interrupt you, I, David. I don't want to interrupt you, but did you have any idea who Terry Bradshaw was? No, of course not. I, uh, no. Um, well, just the same as, as Terry probably didn't know who Eric Cantona was. So it was kind of like it's you're only known in your local patch. Um, and I was, saw the final CBS pregame show, and there was Terry and Greg Gumbel. And Terry and I said, oh, that's Terry Bradshaw. I've been told not to hire him. Because he's uh, because he's Terry Bradshaw, and I watched him get up from his desk. He walked across, and Terry didn't walk. He had this wonderful swagger, and I thought, "Oh my God, he's perfect." So um, uh, uh, I couldn't wait to meet him, and we talked and talked, and and kind of like Terry Bradshaw is. It's kind of like to me. I like to think that that Fox Sports is based is a cross between John Madden and Terry Bradshaw, between the link of the two, the, the depth of knowledge, understanding, and John's wonderful teaching ability and his commentary. And Terry, with Terry's deep love for the athletes and for the history of the game and the game itself and the way he's able to, to, to spin it with his incredibly wonderful sense of humor. We will continue our conversation with David Hill next week. We certainly, uh, we, we've got some incredible ground to cover here and, and some things not only that, that he's been a part of, but things that, uh, that, that looking forward to sports television because there's a lot of interesting things going on these days. You're dialed in with Tom Brennan. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.